that's what really appeals to me is giving people information and then allowing them to make the decision, not telling people how they should live their mm-hmm. life or the decisions that they should make, but giving them the power to make that choice for themselves. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Health Careers with Dr. Martin, a podcast show that pulls back the curtain on what a career in health and wellness is really like. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Martin. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode. Thanks for joining me. Uh, today's guest I found through her podcast, and thank God I did because she is uh, a lot of fun, um, very knowledgeable about her career and her profession. And it was just a lot of fun, as you'll hear shortly. Um, just talk with her. It's interesting that this career is really not recognized enough and maybe even underappreciated. But as we'll learn, we'll find how important it is to certain patients who really do need them to have a, a better life um, and outcome because of whatever illness or disease that they have. And so who I'm talking with is Leanne Porter. She's a speech-language pathologist, or SLP, and sometimes she describes herself as a medical SLP, which means that they take care of um, medical patients, versus non-SLP, which is a smaller population of SLPs, and they work mostly in schools, as she's described to me. Um, But it's really interesting how some of the patients she helps out with really benefit from their care, and will actually improve their life style and their life outcomes because of working with SLPs. So it was a great uh, episode. I'm glad you're a part of this. Let's keep listening to it and let's jump into it and, and learn about speech language pathologists. Leanne, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Nice to be here. Tell me a little bit, a quick bio of yourself in about 30 seconds. Sure. So I'm Leanne Porter. I'm a speech and language pathologist in Kansas City, Kansas, which is a border town also of Missouri, but I live Mm -hmm. on the Kansas side and I work in a hospital. I work primarily in outpatient. So patients come and they see me. I also float over to the acute side of the hospital and I work in our inpatient rehab unit. Um, I've been doing this for about seven years, and I absolutely love it. I see a wide range of adults in my practice um, with a wide range of communication, swallowing, and cognition and voice needs. We have a very wide spectrum of our profession. Um, The title speech-language pathologist can be a little misleading. When we go see people, they're like, there's nothing wrong with the way I talk. And I'm like, (laughs) you are correct, because that's not actually what I'm here for. So (laughs) I'm excited to uh, chat with you about things. So as a quick bio, as a CV resume, mm-hmm. how'd you get started and what's your quick uh, like resume, I guess? When I went through school, I didn't know that I was going to end up as a speech and language pathologist. So when I graduated high school, I was most interested in um, a field like international studies as a major. I liked nonprofits, non-governmental organizations. I wanted to like be an advocate and change the world and all those things. So I got my undergraduate degree in international studies from the University of West Florida in Pensacola. Um, Then I was introduced to an amazing opportunity through Rotary International to study abroad for a year, 
um, at the master's level in public health through a scholarship program that they had that was really incredible. So I did that and I earned a postgraduate diploma in public health from the University of Otago um, in Wellington, New Zealand. And that was just a really phenomenal experience. Right, right next door to our country. I know, right? Just a hop, <laughs> skip, and a jump away. Basically neighbors. Um, and when I came back from that, it was kind of like, it, it changed what I understood about public health and the direction of that career path wasn't as appealing to me. So I was like, okay, kind of what am I going to do next? I need, I need a career. I want something mm-hmm. more than a job. Um, yeah. What should I do? My mom was instrumental in guiding me towards speech and language pathology. She was an elementary school uh, principal. She's retired now. And so um, her understanding of SLPs and what we do was from the school setting. And about yeah. half of us work in schools uh, with, okay. with children. So I applied and got into the master's program for speech and language pathology at the University of Central Florida in Orlando. Um, I'm really, really grateful for that because it is very competitive to get into, and I didn't realize that. And most people who get into the master's program have gotten a bachelor's in communication sciences and disorders. Uh Um, But as you can see, they do accept um, what we would call out-of-field candidates, so people who did not get their bachelor's in that. You just take some prerequisites at the bachelor or at the undergrad level to prepare you for the master's coursework, and then you're able to go through and do that. Because you do need a master's degree to practice as a speech and language pathologist. I see. So you, your degree initially, or Bachelor of Arts degree, was initially not the standard degree that speech language pathologists have. That's right. Nothing like it. <laughs> Got it. Okay. All right. Um, well, great. That's a quick bio about you. Let's do these four questions. Okay. In two minutes. Okay. Let's do Just it. to give a quick overview, a little bit about what you are. Actually, three and a half because you uh, you answered a little bit about it. Uh, where I asked, as a speech-language pathologist, what purpose do you serve in healthcare? So our role is to address language, voice, swallowing, and cognition, or thinking skills, um, from cradle to grave. Usually, Okay, so that's the broadest sense of the word. And there are some SLPs who do that, and like hats off to them, they're incredible. Usually, we, we narrow that down to a population. <laughs> so, for example, I just work with adults. Okay. Um, but I do do language, voice, swallowing, and cognition. Um, so, what, yeah. What are the usual steps to achieve your professional degree? Um, you have to have a master's to practice. And so you can get the bachelor's and then the master's in communication sciences and disorders, or you can be like me and come in with a different um, undergraduate degree, but you have to have the master's. Okay. Um, and what is a usual bachelor's degree that most people get? Before they go into the master's program, a bachelor's in communication sciences and disorders. Got it. And the master's program is called what, Leanne? It's a master's program in communication sciences and disorders. <laughs> They're very repetitive. They keep it. They keep it. Got easy. it. <laughs> I I understand now. That's all right. Great. Best part of your career. The best part is the patients, is working with people, because we work one-on-one with them. We evaluate, and then we um, create a treatment plan. And so we collaborate with the patient and their medical team on best outcomes for their specific and unique needs. Got it. And the least favorite part, least favorite part of your career? Um, it might be the fact that so few people know that we exist and, and what our field does and the services that we can offer. And so sometimes we don't get maybe consulted as often or as much. 
Um, so that's something that we all kind of struggle with is a very simplistic, maybe understanding of what we do in the hospital. Sometimes people might think that we're the diet police and, and we're a lot more than that. Well, I'm hoping this episode and what you share will hopefully bring to light a lot of, um, to a lot of people what you guys do and hopefully your profession will be m- more recognized. That'd all be right? great. So, yeah. All right. It. So let's jump into more meaty stuff about your career. Let's do it. Tell me what your typical day is like as an SLP. And did you mind if I say as an SLP, is that appropriate? Yes, yep, that's, that's what we do. We call ourselves okay. SLPs. Mm-hmm. Got it. So what's your typical day like? All right. So I'm going to give you an example of an outpatient day because that's where that's my home. That's what I do mm-hmm. the most of. Um, it, we usually work from 8 to 4.30. And um, we will have a schedule that's usually back to back. So the whole day is filled with treatments and evaluations. Evaluations are 60 minutes generally, and treatments could be 45 minutes to 60 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, Just depends on where you work and and what the needs are of the patient. So on a fully scheduled day, I would have nine patients uh, back to back. The hour at lunch is, does not have patients on it, but that's usually time to catch up on documenting from right. the morning. And then right. at the end of the day, we have a third, the four to four thirty spot is another time to document and kind of catch up on that and wrap up for the day. So I actually prepared kind of an example of like the types of patients I would work with on a, Great. on a day. So yeah. I'll just, I'll just go into that now. All right. So, um, on a day that I had in the past, my first patient of the day uh, presented with oral dysphagia and motor speech issues. And dysphagia is our medical term for swallowing difficulties. And for this patient, they had squamous cell carcinoma of the retromolar trigon region, which is in their mouth and their jaw. And they had extensive resections, including a partial glossectomy, removal of the soft and hard palate. So that means they had um, a large portion of their tongue removed and yeah. uh, the roof of their mouth. So you could actually, when they opened their mouth, you could see into their nasal cavity. Wow. Yeah. Um, that so That must have been kind of, um, catches your eye, doesn't it? It, it was. <laughs> that was the first time I had seen that view before. So yes. Um, so this patient was PEG dependent. So what that is, is it's a tube that's inserted um, through their skin, through the outside, directly into their stomach. And it's where um, liquid nutrition and hydration is deposited into their stomach. Bypasses um, the esophagus and the mouth and mm-hmm. oral cavity. Yes. And so, of course, this patient wished to return to what we call PO intake, which is per oral. So eating, she wished to eat by her mouth again mm-hmm. and to improve the intelligibility of her speech. Um, so that's what our therapy looked like was navigating that with her unique needs and that incredible anatomical change that she underwent because of that oral cancer um, and finding textures and techniques and ways to transition the food through her mouth so that she could swallow it safely without it going up into her, her nasal cavity or just with when you have most of your tongue removed, that is how we push food back back in our mouth out of our mouth so that we can swallow it. So just moving the food through her oral cavity, that was our our biggest challenge. Wow. I presume when you're taking care of these patients, you're with them for a while. It's not a one week thing, a a one day thing, a one week thing, or even sometimes a one month event. That's right. Yeah. We'll create a plan of care um, for them with um, what we would estimate could be the term of service. And 
sometimes that might be like 10 sessions, might mm-hmm. be twice a week for 10 sessions. So that would be like five weeks. Um, and when we do a like a progress note and talk about the progress that we've made, if our goals have not been met, if we still see that there's more progress to be made, then we would ask for like a recertification, a continuation of therapy for another X amount of sessions to continue addressing this, pro- this, this patient's problems. Got it. Is this patient, by the way, an inpatient or outpatient? This is an outpatient. So these are people, community dwellers, people living at home who are able to transport themselves to our therapy clinic and come in and see me. I see. And what type of patients, so that's an outpatient example, Mm -hmm. but what type of patients do you see as an inpatient? As an inpatient, so those are people who need 24-hour nursing care and doctor oversight because their health is a lot more fragile. So they are not healthy enough and not able to care for themselves to be um, able to live at home independently at that time. So if they're on the acute floors, then that means something just happened to them within the last X amount of hours or few days um, that they need critical medical care to, to be staying in the hospital. If they're on an inpatient rehab unit, they're a little bit more stable, um, and that's where they will get three hours of therapy that's divided between physical therapy, occupational therapy, um, definitely those two. And if they also have needs that relate to our field, then an SLP will see them as well when they're on an inpatient rehab unit. You know, this episode is not too technical. You know, it's more about what's your career about. But could you tell us one technique that you work with what exactly, how you help them in some of the techniques that you do? Sure. So um, like the next patient that I would see that day, um, they were coming in for language and word finding. So they had progressive neurological decline because they had a history of two previous strokes and it was impacting their communication. So my treatment with that patient focused on implementing um, a technique we call semantic feature analysis and picture descriptions. So the spouse sent in pictures of family vacations and notable events in the patient's life. And we use those in our session to target their specific language and word finding needs. So let's jump to misconceptions. Mm -hmm. What misconceptions do people have of your profession? Yeah, that we're like the diet police. Uh, that Diet police? Yeah, because, you know, on the acute floors, when people first come in, they've had some strong impact to their medical condition. They're in a very weakened state, um, very unstable. They may have difficulties swallowing um, because our throat shares um, space with the esophagus where our food travels down and our airway. And so when we swallow, our airway is covered so that the food and liquid can pass behind it into our esophagus and go down to our stomach. If um, there have been complications to our cognition, to our alertness, to motor planning and movement, like a stroke, mm -hmm, traumatic brain injury, or even just being kind of snowed out on different kinds of medications. Okay. If you have delirium, things like that mm-hmm. will affect that timing and coordination of your swallow. And so if your airway isn't securely closed while you're swallowing, portions of that food or liquid would travel down into your airway. And we've all experienced this from time to time, especially if we're drinking something and somebody makes us laugh. Suddenly we suck in a little bit of that drink and we're coughing yeah. our lungs out, right? It it's goes really into your nose. Reaction. It's yeah. a wonderful experience. <laughs> it's you know, really, really pleasurable. Everyone enjoys it so much. So yeah. And the problem with that material getting down into your lungs, like that food or liquid that's not supposed to be there, is that it may be carrying bad bacteria with it. 
And if it gets into your lungs and you're already in a compromised medical position and it colonizes and creates uh, an infection in your lungs, like a pneumonia, then that complicates your hospital right. stay. Right. So, um, so what you do can really, if not done properly, it mm-hmm. can actually make things worse for the patient while they're under your care. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we need to be very thorough and, and be consulted and then be very thoughtful in our considerations um, because – if we recommend that they, for a short time, not eat anything by mouth because they're not protecting their airway, mm. that can really impact their quality of life. And how are they going to get hydration and nutrition during that time when they're not able to protect their airway? And so... I recently interviewed a registered dietitian mm-hmm. and nutritionist, uh, Kate Richardson, um, and she is a dietitian. I presume, besides occupational therapists and physical therapists that you work with dietitians mm-hmm. and you also mentioned audiologists. Yes. What other professions are you working with besides those professions? Okay. So it's a very healthy list. Um, we, <laughs> we collaborate very closely with the nurses because nobody knows your patient ah. better than the nurse and the nursing aides, of course. And um, the hospitalists who are overseeing their plan of care, like on the acute side, so I'm, I kind of transition between what we do in outpatient, what we do um, for acute care and inpatient rehab. So um, on the floors, we work very closely with hospitalists, pulmonologists, um, laryngologists, which are specialized ENTs, yep. gastrointestinal doctors, neurologists, the dietitians, of course, social workers, our physical therapists and occupational therapy colleagues, respiratory therapists, radiologists, and radiology techs, because we go into um, the radiology units to do modified barium swallow studies for our patients Uh to get eyes on what's actually happening. Um, Is material getting down into their airway? The only way you know is if you see it. And the only way you can see it is through imaging, such as modified barium swallow studies and something we call FEES, which is fiber optic endoscopic evaluation of swallowing. That's really fun. (laughs) There's a little tiny camera on a flexible tube that we thread through a you do patient's it. nostril. Speech-, Speech therapists do it. I am not oh. uh, like trained in fees, but okay. I've studied it. So I haven't right. like passed a scope, but it's threaded through their nostril so that we can see down into their throat. And then we have the person eat and drink and we're able to visualize if any of the material is getting down into their airway after the swallow or before the swallow. I went to go see an ENT doctor who was actually was a guest on my podcast, um, Dr. Guy Lin, and he actually put a, a scope down to see um, down my nose. It's similar to that. I mean, it's a fiber yes. optic scope. Yes. And you just, um, obviously, you're looking at maybe a little bit things a little differently than an ENT, but mm-hmm. you actually do that procedure yes. as a SLP. That's great. Yes. It it's is. Awesome. It's really wonderful. We we love it. It it helps us be more accurate in our diagnosing and our treatment plans because we have to have eyes on the pathophysiology. We have to understand where's the breakdown, where's the problem happening if we yeah. hope to address it and improve it. Do you help people to talk? I know yes. we talked about this before. You actually help people learn how to speak, move their muscle. Is it moving their tongue and, and making it stronger? Am I getting a better sense of that as well? Yes. It's like, it's hard for me to kind of like translate this like very in-depth knowledge because, you know, we don't, we don't want to oversimplify it. So I'll take a case example for you. So someone who's had a stroke can have um, difficulty pronouncing words. So they're an adult. 
They've been speaking their whole lives. They have a stroke, which affects a certain place in their brain that affects the motor planning movements. And so they, they will know what they want to say, but when they go to say it, something else comes out instead. Mm. And it may be a different word for what they want, or it may be unrecognizable sounds. So we, we would call those like neologian. Oh, I don't even know if I said that right. I always type it. I never say it out loud. <laughs> That's okay. That's not a technical episode. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, they can have lots of different problems and that, so we, we work with them on, and it can be very different levels of difficulty with that. So there can be people who have literally no speech, and there are people who just have difficulty thinking of certain words they want to say, um, but they can be pretty fluent and pretty coherent. So there's a wide spectrum of what language damage after a stroke looks like. And the most important thing to know, though, is we call it aphasia. And it, mm-hmm. so that's the language disorder. Yep. And it is not a loss of intelligence. People still know things and they, they often know what they want to say. It's, it's um, forming so, it and getting it out is the difficult. The oral communication aspect of it. You said the uh, least favorite part of your career is? Being um, not really understood in what we do. Because, you know, our title is speech language pathologist. And so we also do quite a lot with... Um, improving people's ability to swallow without material getting down into their airways. We also work on voice. And so that's the quality of your voice. And so, you know, we'll go into a patient's room and they're like, there's nothing wrong with how I speak. And we're like, yes. However, we're here for other reasons. So our title can be a middle, a little misleading. How would you describe your work-life balance? Evolving. It is always evolving. Evolving. Yes. Um, Because... There's fluctuations, right? And so I've had to do a lot of learning about what brings me career satisfaction and how to be involved in and outside of work. So I believe it's a, the balance part isn't that it's like 50, 50, or like, Mm -hmm. you know, when to like, uh, like turn off your brain and not think about work anymore. I think it's bigger than that. And it's about having interests and positive relationships Um, in your workplace, outside of work, and in the larger community of your field. So what I have found really rewarding lately is getting really involved in um, the bigger community of SLPs and contributing and giving back and encouraging people and providing learning opportunities uh, for them to um, flourish and nourish in their profession. So I really enjoy the aspect of my field that I've kind of carved out a niche for myself of investing in other SLPs because we, we will have very heavy caseloads and we'll feel like, and over such a wide variety of needs, it can be really hard to feel like you, you know, everything you need to, to be really efficient and, and an excellent SLP. So I want to support SLPs out there who are working so hard to bring best level of care to their patients. Um, I want to support them and and give them tools to be successful and to have best outcomes for their patients. What do you think the future outlook is like for your career or not necessarily you, but your Mm -hmm. profession? Yeah, I think it's bright. I'm really excited for it. Um, We're uh, on the medical field. We're a relatively young profession. We started out as elocutionists. So if you think about the King's speech, like that's an early SLP. Okay. And our field has grown dramatically since, since then. Right. Um, 
it wasn't until the 70s, I believe, the 1970s, that we started getting into becoming the experts on dysphagia and evaluating and treating that, that specific problem and, and adding that to our, our scope of practice. So I'm really excited to see what researchers in our field are looking at and, and how they're adding to our body of knowledge and helping the clinicians to provide evidence-based practice to our patients through a wide scope of topics and areas that we work on. Leanne, what type of students you think would do well or flourish in this career? Flexible, Flexible. <laughs> motivated, yes. Uh, students that enjoy learning, because this is certainly a profession where you you will never stop learning. Your days are never the same. Every day is different, different challenges. Like there's always something to learn. And people who are advocates will do well in this profession because mm. you'll advocate for yourself, for your profession, but most certainly for your patients. Um, people and students who are curious and that they're able to build professional relationships across disciplines because that's key. I mean, because we collaborate with so many different professions across the hospital. Um, You've really got to be able to reach out and have conversations with the other people that you're working with who are consulting you for their patients and sending people your way. You've got to collaborate with a wide range of people. What kind of student were you in high school? Were you kind of a type A student? Were you very focused on healthcare? I mean, what were you... What were you like? Well, I was in the International Baccalaureate program in high school, and it's a very rigorous public school program to prepare students for college. And when I graduated, I actually had like, yeah, well, actually it's international. So it's, it's across the nation. It's across the the whole world. Um, So it's a set of standards. It's, it's, so, you know, advanced placement courses, AP classes in high school, it's like that, but every single class you take is advanced placement. And so. Sounds very nerdy. It is. It was hugely nerdy. And it was, it was great because the program- I can relate. (laughs) It pulled students from all across the district. So it wasn't just the people who were already like zoned for that school. It pulled people from all over. And because its focus is international, like it it really did an amazing job of making it a, a really cross-cultural group of students. Um, So I, I loved it. It was hard. It was tough. That was where I was first learning that I was terrible at, at managing stress. <laughs> um, and so that kind of, that's another reason I think why I got into international studies in graduate school, uh. because that was always kind of my passion was like, what's going on in the world? How can I have an impact on it? Um, but that was just too broad. Yeah. So what, what careers were you looking at around that time? around that age of your, uh, for yourself? I thought I would work for um, an NGO, a non-governmental organization that was looking at raising awareness of issues and problems. Like it could be environmental, it could be political, it could just be social issues going on in the world that still impact like us in the United States. Yeah. And so how did that lead you to New Zealand? I had a friend who was getting her undergraduate degree in public health. And so she was telling me about it and it was really resonating with me. That idea of um, providing education to folks. So you're empowering and equipping them with the tools they need to make um, insightful health options. So like, I'll just, I'll use smoking as an example. Like if you tell somebody this will take years off your life, your chance of getting lung cancer is exponentially higher 
would you still like start smoking if you knew these things? You know, speaking to somebody who had not become a smoker at that point in their life, right? Like when, when you know what the ramifications are, would you still make the same decision? Yeah. And um, that's what really appeals to me is giving people information and then allowing them to make the decision, not telling people how they should live their mm-hmm. life or the decisions that they should make, but giving them the power to make that choice for themselves. Um, so I thought that was all that that um, public health was about. And so I was able to get an amazing Rotary scholarship to study abroad for a year um, at the master's level in public health. And that is where I learned that it's, it's a lot more of um, like working for the government, for example, and building policies uh, that have a trickle-down effect. Now, like kudos to New Zealand, though, is that they're very aware that that is not the best option for making positive changes in communities. They know and they recognize and they were training public health people to um, go into the communities and find out what matters to the community? Like you might think, oh, this group of people has high rates of uh, blood pressure disease. So what do we need to do to fix that for them? Well, if you go into that community and they're like, well, actually, we live in a food desert. That's our most pressing need. Like, could you like work with us on attracting grocery stores that sell fresh food to our area? That's what matters to us. That's what we need, you know? And so it's, it's about getting in there and finding out what matters to the stakeholders of the people that you want to truly help. finding the needs of what those people's uh, what the needs of those people are. Yeah, is this like low key becoming an episode about like getting people into public health? <laughs> Maybe now. Next episode, public health official. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, we have to figure out what happened here. You went from a public health advocate, which mm-hmm. I mean, you you still seem very interested in some of the public health uh, field and and aspects. So how did you, what happened? Well, how did you transition to to speech therapy or speech um, language pathologists? When I came back into the U.S., I still kind of explored, like, what does it look like to work in in public health? And it was like working for the state uh, of Florida. You know, I was living in Florida at the time. So I was like reaching out to people and seeing, and I was like, just, I just didn't seem like there was enough, like I wanted to be more involved in the community and not work at an office in a state building. Uh. So I needed a job where I interacted with people more. And as I mentioned before, I think I mentioned before, I I forget like when we hit record (laughs) and what we talked about. It was a very subtle press of of the button. I know, right? (laughs) You didn't know. um, So my mom uh, was an elementary school principal. And so she worked with uh, SLPs in the school system. And so she was like, you want to work directly with people and have an impact and really change their lives, become an SLP. So I looked into it and that was what I thought I was going to do when I went into graduate school. I thought I was going to be an SLP who worked in the school system. Uh, but when I took the classes on voice and swallowing and um, aphasia, adult language disorders, I was like, this is so fascinating. I had no idea we did this. I need to do this. I love it. So that was that <laughs> evolution. I hope that made sense. And so it was really your mom kind of introducing you to it. Mm-hmm. And that's what kind of got you on that track. Yeah. And also shout out to my high school best friend who um, became an SLP like years before it, before my mom was like, Leanne, you need to do this. And when she was like, become an SLP, I was like, oh, that's what my best friend does. She was in undergraduate and she was, she was on track to become a pediatrician. She took an elective that was sign language. 
And that's how she learned about the communication sciences and disorders program at her university. And she was hooked. She switched uh. majors. She, she's an SLP in the school system and she loves her job. I went down um, to visit her when I was like looking into it and I met all of her other little SLP friends and got, got the inside scoop and I, I even got like warned away. They were like, don't do it. And I was like, why? Because spoiler alert, like there will be people in every profession who maybe don't think it's the best, but mm. there, there is no perfect job. You just have to find what works best for you. What advice would you give students at this part of your career? I would give them the advice of like now looking back, like everything I did wrong. So I would tell students to build community early. Like I didn't do it till only like. What do you the mean, build community? Years. Network, have mentors, ask questions, engage, mm. um, meet other SLPs, meet other grad students in and outside of your program. Um, just open up those conversations. I was too scared. I was too intimidated to like ask professors questions, Really, which looking back is like the dumbest thing ever because that's like literally what they're there for. But I was like, Oh, they're so important. Oh, I'm just such a little person. (laughs) I had a lot of growing to do. I find a lot of students are hesitant. You know, they do, um, especially when you're talking with a professional, Mm -hmm. there's, there's a a sense of awe a little bit Mm -hmm. and, and a little hesitancy in trying to kind of really ask them the hard questions sometimes, or even simple questions. Yeah, yeah. So it for some people, it could be very easy to just reach out there and start talking to people and build up those relationships. Yeah. Um, for me, it was exceptionally hard. And so I didn't do it. And I paid the cost. I felt very isolated. I felt um, I was always questioning if I was doing my job right. Um, I I didn't have enough people in my network. Like I had people involved in my early career who were as yeah. helpful as they could be, but I needed a lot more. Um, and so I this just was, really encourage. This was you as a, or working as an SLP. Yes, in my very first first years, right out of grad school. Got it. So let's move to a fun part, which I call rapid fire questions. Are you ready, Leanne? I'm ready and I'm completely terrified. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> because you are, were not able to prepare for this. That's right. What's your favorite type of dessert? Oh, uh, really fancy ones. So the fancier, the better. Um, yeah, like I love pastries. I love all the frou-frou stuff. Like, and really? if you can light it on fire because it's, I don't know, got alcohol on it, like a baked Alaska, I think you can like light on fire. Like, <laughs> though, that sounds awesome. Basically, if I can make it in my kitchen, like I'm not impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I'll eat it, but. <laughs> Interesting. Um, what is your favorite artist? Ooh, ooh. Okay, Anish Kapoor popped to mind. I love his work. Oh, and Andy Goldsworthy. Or is it Andy Goldsworth? I should really know my favorite artist's name. Uh, both both of these gentlemen are sculptors, like large, huge pieces. And my favorite thing about Andy is that he uses uh, things in nature uh, and then takes pictures of it because they don't last and they're not meant to. And I think, yeah. So go Google him. His his work That's is awesome. phenomenal. I didn't. I don't know know those artists at all. Oh, Thanks do you sharing. know? Do you know the bean in, um, they call it that in Chicago, like that big yeah. reflective? Yes. That's Anish Kapoor. Got it now. So a lot of people do know his work. Um, yeah, he, oh, he does such fun things. Oh, Google him too. He's a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Scale of one to 10, how strict were your parents? 
<laughs> well, okay, so I'm the youngest, and my older brothers would tell you that for me, they were like a two, like of easy. <laughs> and I would tell you they're like a seven, you know? Like, my, what was really great, my parents had boundaries, They, uh, mm. which was great because I'm a boundary pusher. So they, I knew expectations, and I had curfew and things like that. But definitely, yeah, as I got older and I got a license and I had a car... <laughs> I was also responsible, so they didn't have needs to, like, you know, I don't know, follow me around or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, they were good. (laughs) What's the most beautiful place you've ever been? I've been to a lot of different places, and that's really hard to pick just one. I think the first thing that came to mind, I was really young, and I went to Honduras, And we were traveling in a really rural area and the sun was shining and we like came over this hill and there was this Mm -hmm. huge lake and the light was reflecting off of it. And it was like, it was just a moment that I had, you know, and I think what makes a place really beautiful is, is just being able to stop and appreciate it. Yeah. I go in my backyard and we're up against a corner of our backyard is up against uh, trees. Like it's not developed and it's my favorite place right now. Mm. Nothing beats my backyard. Well, in this moment, it's cold and the trees are bare. So, like, in the, in the spring and the summer. three months. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how many days do you wear the same pants in a row before it becomes a problem? Oh, it could be up to five because five. it's going to have to get stained or visibly soiled before I retire those. Now, that's unless I'm going into work. Because if I'm going into work, I'm working in a hospital, <laughs> those things are getting laundered like the second I get home. But like if I'm like working at home and I'm just hanging out, like doing stuff around the house, like it could be five days. <laughs> I should say there are stipulations involved. Please don't think I'm going out in public with the same pants five days. Like, these are house Oh, pants. that's Leanne. I've seen her wear that five days in a row now. Uh, let's go say hi to somebody else. <laughs> I feel like I should buy the same pants, like five like five pants. They're right. all the so, same. So they could not actually really, tell. Yeah, just mess with people. That'd be great. What game are you really good at? <gasps> okay. Richard, are you ready to have your mind blown? Yeah. Not you, that I'm really good at it. You've my mind with somebody's answers already. Actually, the... F- <laughs> The whole five pan- five days in a row thing. <laughs> but go ahead. Okay. So my husband and I just recently found out about escape room games. Because um, yeah. you know about escape rooms like out in the real world. Like you go into a room. They have puzzles. Yep. You solve them. Yes. You have like an hour. Yes. Okay. So there are games that you can buy and bring into your home and play them. And so it's like you set a timer and you have all these different little puzzles to solve. These are our new pandemic like favorite thing in the What's world. What's the name of the game? So there's a couple different ones. Uh, one is called Unlock, and they have series of different games within like the Unlock universe. Leah, where can listeners go to uh, reach you and learn more about you? I know you talked about before about how um, you can want to contribute to a larger community of SLP, but you know, what else, where can people reach you and what are you doing? Um, so I'm on Instagram at Speech Uncensored. And that's where I um, interact the most with people. I have a podcast uh, for SLPs. That that's just, how I found you. Mm-hmm, that just talks shop about our profession and, and what we do. And it's called and it's Speech called Uncensored. Uncensored. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I also have a website. Guess what it's called? Hmm. <laughs> 
that's <laughs> BeachEndCensored.com. Um, and that's where the show notes for the podcast live uh, because I, I build the show notes with links like to dig deeper into the topic that I've discussed with the, de- with the guest yeah. so that people are, can continue learning. And, you know, like learning doesn't just stop when you listen yes. to a conversation that we had, like you, you keep digging into it and find out, you know, if you could use this tool, um, if it would help your patients, uh, things like that. Well, I'm hoping like this episode and, and your podcast, it launches people to explore other things. Like it in- inspires them to say, hmm, let me learn, learn more about that. And mm-hmm. so I think this time with each other was fantastic. I, I had laugh. I wasn't laughing much, but I know, it was. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll do better next time. I promise, Richard. <laughs> but I had a great time. Learned a lot, actually. Um, Good. And thank you for sharing. Is there anything else you want to say before we sign off here? Yes. Um, like, if you are curious at all about our profession, there is a, a ton of SLPs on Instagram. If you look up the hashtag med, M-E-D, S-L-P, yeah. um, ooh, you'll get so much good stuff about S- SLPs working in the medical setting and all the, the various wonderful things we're doing. So if you're at all curious, just go stalk some people on Instagram and then reach out to them and start a conversation. Um, Don't just stalk. That's right. You can you can do some research and you can call it stalking. It's okay. Like, you know, get the lay of the land and then start talking to people. Like, we love our profession. We love what we do. And we want more people in it. That's awesome. Thanks for being on this episode, Leanne. Thank, thank you, so, you much. so much for having me. And thank you for shining the spotlight on speech and language pathology. This is a true treasure. I appreciate this so much. My pleasure. All right, everybody. That's our show today. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about today's guests or other past guests, just check out my website, healthcareerswithdrmar.com or hcwithdrmar.com. Of course, if you like what you heard on this podcast, then please go to my website, add your name and email to my email list. That way you can get the latest announcements and news as they arise. You can also find me on Instagram at drrichardmarn. That's Dr. Richard Marn. Thank you so much for listening and catch you on the next episode.